If you'd stand with me, I'm going to read from today's passage in Exodus chapter 7. Exodus 7, I'll begin in verse 14 as we begin the plagues. Exodus 7, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. (coughs) But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up his staff and struck the waters in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. One of the most well-known stories in all the Bible, probably the most well-known story in the Old Testament, is the story of the ten plagues and the exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. Um, This morning, let me ask you at the outset, what is the greatest struggle in your life? What is the greatest fear in your life? What is the greatest challenge in your life? Because we want to think of that challenge, that struggle, that problem in light of who God is and how God reveals himself in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, in this passage specifically, God is revealing himself as the God who is mighty to deliver, mighty to rescue, mighty to save. Not just save from sin, but save from every kind of challenge and need and issue. You're out of work. You've got a diagnosis that scares you to death. You've got a a teenager who is making some very bad decisions. You've got um, uh, uh, aging parents that are uh, a challenge for you. You've got financial pressures. Whatever it is, God wants you to know that he is the same God as the God of Exodus, and he is mighty to save We see in this book, we see in this passage particularly that God has the power to rescue his people. We see that God has the heart to rescue his people. We see that nothing is too hard for God. We see that God can do all things. We see that God does these sorts of things so that we would know who he is, 
that he is the Lord. And so that ultimately all the earth would know and glorify him as God. The ten plagues in the Exodus specifically are uh, an underscoring lesson that God is the God who rescues from slavery, pointing one day when God will rescue us from the most uh, dangerous and harmful slavery of any kind, and that is slavery to sin. He rescues us in Jesus Christ. His blood, as we just sang, can wash away our sin. And this is the picture of it. Now, beginning with this passage and the rest of the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament is going to know God as the God who rescues his people out of slavery. Let me give you one example, one out of a hundred examples. In Exodus 20, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, they're through the Red Sea, they're out in the wilderness, and they come to Mount Sinai, and it is time for God to, do the, to, to give his people the Ten Commandments. That's what Exodus 20 is all about. But not a, watch how God introduces it. This is going to become a pattern throughout the rest of the Old Testament. In Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. He goes right into them. But when he describes himself, he doesn't simply describe himself anymore as I am the Lord your God, but I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt and slavery there. And you see that go on in the rest of the Old Testament. Not every single time, but time after time after time. Those of you who are reading your Old Testaments, just watch for it. It just, time after time, it is the central event in the Old Testament that they look back to to remind themselves, not what God did, but what God does. He can rescue His people. Now for us, living this side of the cross, that has been fulfilled. That has been uh, one-upped in the rescue of slavery from sin in Jesus Christ. And so we look back at the cross and resurrection. He is the God who rose Jesus Christ, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But the exodus is forever there as a reminder, not what God can do, not what God did, did do, not what God could do, but what God does do. He rescues his people. He does. In the exodus, in the plagues, it begins with the, the plague, the first plague that I read, turning the Nile River into blood. Um, I'm not going to read all the nine plagues that we're going to look at today or the tenth plague that we're going to look at next week. But the second plague is frogs, 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 frogs everywhere. You get in your bed at night, you lift up the sheet, frogs. You slip your shoe on, there's a frog in there. You open the stove, frog. Frogs everywhere. And then gnats. Have you ever been out in the wild somewhere, maybe in Colorado, maybe up in the lakes of Minnesota, and you come upon a swarm of gnats you got to get out of there because every time you breathe, you're, you know, you're breathing in gnats. And they're getting your eyes, they're getting your mouth. you got to get out of there. The whole land of Egypt was full of gnats. Third plague, fourth plague was flies, swarms of flies, flies everywhere. And then, fifthly, all the livestock dies. I mean, can you imagine all the cattle in Texas, all the longhorns in Texas dying on a day, sixth, boils. Can you remember ever having a boil on your leg and it, is, and it is sensitive and it is tender and it hurts? Can you imagine being covered with boils? You know, that would get old quick. Pharaoh, do something. And then the seventh plague, hail, big 
uh, deadly hail, destroying everything. Then eight, locusts. There, apparently there's been a test done with some people. They must have had special equipment when a swarm of locusts came over, and it was the decibel level of a 747. Locusts filling the sky. Nine, darkness, pitch darkness. Can't see your hand darkness. Uh, darkness without any electric lights to help out. Dark darkness. And then 10th, next week, firstborn sons dying. Now, you've got to see these things. You've got to feel these things. You've got to know these things. Can you imagine driving across the Mississippi River, looking down at that huge, mag majestic, magnificent river, and imagining that river turning into blood? Not the color of blood, blood. And there's blood throughout the land. Whoa. Would that get your attention? God is revealing who God is, that I am the Lord. And he is showing that to the people of Egypt. So in chapter 7, verse 14, the passage begins. I'm going to read a few verses in 17 and then uh, hit a few of the verses scattered throughout 7 through 10. In 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Now, sometimes in 7 through 10, what well, we read about being hardened throughout the passage, about 18 times. Sometimes it's stated, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Sometimes it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, not saying by who. And sometimes it says, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. The best place of that, to see that is in the end of chapter 9, 934. And there we read this. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, this is the plague of hail, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. That's not the first time, but he hardens his heart again. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. 10.1, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, so that I may show these signs of mine among them. So, he hardens his own heart. And God hardens his heart. Not either or, but both and. And, and there is some mystery here. And there's a part of that we don't like. Uh, you know, just, I mean, why, why would God hardens his heart? There's a part of this that we don't understand. Now, the unbiblical response is this. To minimize one or the other and, and try to rationalize this in a way that fits my, my little puny human mind. But remember... Our minds, compared to God, are like the, is like the mind of a grasshopper compared to Einstein. We don't presume that we understand all that God does, but biblical Christians, if the Bible says it, we believe it. And the Bible teaches both our responsibility to believe and God's election to choose. And here the Bible says that Pharaoh hardens his heart, God hardens his heart, the Bible says that sinners are responsible for their sin. So Pharaoh is responsible fully for his sin, just like you and I are fully responsible for our sin. Okay, just uh, accept what the Bible says when you cannot uh, put it all together in a logical way. He's God, and we're not. Okay, a couple of verses later in verse 16. We need to check that verse out too because it says, And you shall say to him, Moses, say to Pharaoh, 
the Lord. Okay, you guys know by now that whenever you see in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, well, Old Testament, the word Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh. That is a special name that God reveals to Moses in the burning of the bush in Exodus 3, a name that he had used earlier but explains in Exodus for the first time. And that, that especially means this is my personal name. Elohim is my generic name. A little bit like I'm pastor, that's generic. I'm Jeff, that's personal. Yahweh, I am. I am that I am. I am the, the sovereign, eternal, unchanging. I just am. I'm God. I'm behind everything else in the universe. And I am the God who rescues my people. That God. He said, when you see Lord in all caps, that's it. And he says, I am, uh, and you should say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go. Now, can you imagine Pharaoh? Pharaoh thinks he's God on earth. Whatever he says goes in the land of Egypt. If he wants somebody to die, off with their heads. You know, he just, you know, has complete power. And uh, he's not used to anybody uh, submitting his, his will to anybody. And in chapter 5, when Moses first goes into Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go, how does Pharaoh respond in 5.2 in one of the most arrogant things I've ever read in the Bible? How does he respond if not other than, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Whoa, Pharaoh, back off, buddy. You're in trouble. You are way over your head. And God says to him, the next time Moses goes in there, tell him, I am the Lord. You want to know who the Lord is? I'm the Lord. And he's going to find out what that means. That when, we, when you and I say he is God, that means he is the sovereign, infinite, all-powerful, all-merciful, uh, all-judging. He is the Lord God Almighty. And just as Pharaoh had to understand that, you and I have got to understand that. And that's why time after time last week, God had to say to Moses, Moses, you're so intimidated by Pharaoh. You're so bent out of shape about Pharaoh. Moses, first of all, I am the Lord. That's Pharaoh. That's puny Pharaoh. I'm the Lord. Four times in one paragraph, he says it. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. First thing in the spiritual life is to know that God is God. He's God. He's different than you and I. He's God. Be still and know that I am God. That's why A.W. Tozer is so, um, so right when he says the first line of this book, Knowledge of the Holy. By the way, we've got Knowing God, maybe the, my top three books ever uh, this week. And uh, we ran out last week, sold them out. We've got them this week. But Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer, that's in there too, by the way. First line, the most important thing about any human being is what comes into their minds when they think of God. God is God. Get that down. Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, I am the Lord. He's wondering who the Lord is. Tell him. He's right here. He's God. He says, let my people go. God defends his people all through the Bible. He is a warrior for his people. He will defend his people. Mo, uh, Pharaoh thought, these are my people. These are my slaves. Uh-uh. God says, let my people go. 
They're not yours. Let them go. And that's what God does for you and me. He defends us. He's a warrior for us. All through the Psalms, he is our fortress. He is our refuge. One of the words for fortress in the Old Testament is the word Masada. And you know that uh, from that great mountain in Israel. In fact, those of you who have been with me to Israel, those of you who might go one day, down by the Red Sea, there is this plateau of a mountain that is nearly flat on top. They did some leveling way back in the ancient world. Herod, King Herod, the great builder in the ancient world, uh, built several fortresses up there. And that became kind of a, a Roman, and we call it Masada, fortress. In fact, when the Israelites uh, were being destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans, that was the last holdout. A thousand Jewish men, women, and children fled up to there and held out for a couple of years against the Romans. It's uh, talked about in uh, books and, and, and at least one uh, Peter O'Toole movie. Masada, fortress. God says, I am your fortress. I am your defender. I am your stronghold. I will rescue my people. Let my people go. You've got to understand, that is God's heart towards you. He is your defender. He is your protector. He will rescue you. You know, we've got an enemy. And that enemy, the Bible says, comes to steal and kill and destroy. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he not only paid for your sins and mine, but he publicly sentenced Satan to execution. And one day, he will be cast into eternity, the eternal lake of fire. 1 John 3 says this. It says, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We see the works of the devil all around us, wreaking all kind of havoc. But Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, and one day he'll be banished forever and sentenced forever. He is our defender. He is our fortress. Okay, 717. He says, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with a staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. Now, if you were there, you were one of those Egyptians, and one day all of the Nile River, which was precious, which was your source of life, if it turned into blood, you would think, whoa, who is this? Who is this? You know, the Egyptians had a number of gods, like uh, uh, many primitive societies today have a number of gods. They are referred to as animistic cultures. You've got the monotheistic religions, and then you've got these animistic cultures. And the Egyptians were animistic. They had a river god. They had a this god. They had a that god. One of their gods was the god of the Nile River, Hopi, H-O-P-I. And you can imagine that Hopi was a pretty important god because they were dependent upon the Nile River to, to, for fish, to uh, irrigate the land, the farmland around the Nile Delta. And uh, Hopi was supposed to defend that river. No surprise. The first thing God does, he, he destroys the Nile River, turns it to blood. Fish die. River stinks. Where is Hopi? Helpless before the one true God. And the, the, the plagues become not only means of rescuing God's people and showing Pharaoh who God is, but they become diatribes, polemics, uh, statements against the gods of Egypt, the false gods that are no gods at all. In fact, Exodus 12, 12 is an unforgettable line when it says, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So these are judgments against the so-called gods of Egypt. 
So, Pharaoh needs to know that I am the Lord. He asks, who's the Lord? I am the Lord. There's only one God, and it's the God of the Scriptures. We see this all through the plagues. In chapter 8, verse 10, during the plague of the frogs, be it as you say, Pharaoh says to, Moses says to Pharaoh, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, no one like Yahweh Elohim. Or in 9, or in 8.22, during the plague of the flies, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Or in 9.14, during the plague of the hail, for this time I will send you all the plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, church, time after time after time, I could read another example in 10.1. God is, is, is making it clear to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, in 10.1, actually, to the Israelites, I and I alone am God. I'm not a man that's like you. I'm not like a superman. I am God. And sometimes you and I slip back into a Pharaoh kind of unbelief and cynicism and don't really believe that God is God. We talk it, but at times we don't believe it. He's God. He's God. And that means the greatest challenge and struggle in your life, he's bigger than that challenge. He's God. Be still and know that I am God. All righty. Last week in 6, 1 through 8, as I mentioned several times in a row, God was underscoring to, to, to Moses, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. And now to, to all of Pharaoh and all of Egypt, I am the Lord. Now that's the, that's the basic purpose of the ten plagues. But the purpose beyond that, the ultimate purpose, is that we would know that he is the Lord and that all the earth would glorify him. That his name would be known in all the earth, not just in Egypt, not just among the Israelites, but all the earth would know. The classic passage for that is 913, in the midst of the plagues, the plague of the hail. Verse 13, then the Lord said to, said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Time after time, let my people go that they may serve me. That word serve is often translated by English translations, worship. And uh, it runs on the line between serving God and worshiping God. That is, it has the nuance of serving God by worshiping God. It's not serving God by doing a physical task, carrying some buckets of water or something. It is serving God by worshiping Him, like we've done this morning. We serve the Lord. We came to a worship service. And he says, I want my people to go out there to worship me because uh, I am the God who deserves worship. Verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth for by now I could have put out, in my, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power so that, why? So that 
my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is a global God. He always has been a global God. God is a global God. Why are we involved with missions around the world? Because God is a global God, and we must be global followers of God. That's why we have people scattered around, because we're, we're global Christians. We're concerned about the whole world, because God's concerned about the whole world. As we see in Revelation, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And that's our heart as well. Because all the world must know about God's renown and God's fame. The primary reason that you and I are involved with missions around the world by giving here to Woods Edge to our church home, by praying for our missionaries, by sending them out, by caring for them, the primary reason is not so that there would be people in Ecuador and people in Madrid and people in Turkey uh, coming to know Christ as their Savior, as important as that is. Do you know what the primary reason is? So that God would be worshipped in all the earth. So that God's fame would be spread. God's name would be known. It's nowhere been put, I don't think, better than John Piper puts it. When he writes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. He is worthy of our worship. And all the earth must know, every tongue, tribe, people, and nation must know of the Lord of God. In the, in the book of Exodus, in the plagues, they, needed, they had to know who is God. So that all the earth might know the name of the Lord. And so must we. We must be God-glorifying people. Church, what is this passage about? Let me tell you what it's not about. It is not so that we have a nice history lesson about the ancient Israelites in Egypt. That that's what God did. No, no. The purpose of this passage it's not what God did, not what God could do, not what God might do, but what God does. He is mighty to save. And he has a heart to rescue his people. Not always looks like what we want or when we want it. The people of Israel have been slaves for 400 years. But he has a heart for his people, and he has the power to deliver and rescue his people, whatever the need is. Dear brother and sister, if you're alive, you've got a big need and big problems and big challenges because that's just part of life in a fallen world. What need are you trusting God for that only God can do? That if God doesn't come through, you're sunk because he is the God of miracles and he is the God who hears us when we pray. He is the God who with mighty hand could rescue his people out of slavery. He is the God who with a mighty hand could rescue you and I out of our slavery to sin and hell and death and Satan. And he is the God who can meet your, your job needs and can meet your physical needs and can meet your marital needs. And you're struggling with pornography? God can rescue you. And it is a lie of Satan that you've got to do that. What a lie. And any other sin you're wrestling with, it is a lie you've got to do it. You can obey the Lord because he made you to. 
God is a miracle working, prayer hearing, mighty to save God. And nothing is too big for him. We are not practical atheists who give lip service to God but don't believe there's any power there. Oh, no. He is the God who rescues his people. Stand with me, please. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is your biggest need. Friend, breathe a prayer now. Jesus, come and save me from my sin. And he will do it. He will do it. Breathe that prayer. But, oh church, most of us have done that. What is the biggest challenge in your life that you you need God to intervene in? Bring it to him right now. Oh God, I bring this to you. I bring this to you. Lord God, I pray with these dear brothers and sisters that you would rescue, deliver, and save.